I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on April 16th of 2012, under the headline, Oregon Man's Supreme Court Confirmation Scotched by His Wife. Here we go. In November of 1873, Salem resident George H. Williams was about to be confirmed as Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. The president seemed to want him in the job, and the senators on the Judiciary Committee didn't feel like taking on the White House over it, so they voted to confirm him. But then, before they could make it official, something happened. For no reason that anyone could or would articulate, the senators suddenly decided they needed to reconsider the nomination. Look more closely into the background of Judge Williams, who, at the time, was the U.S. Attorney General and a former U.S. Senator himself. They found some irregularities there. Notably, they learned that during a bank panic, when he couldn't draw on his bank accounts, Williams had paid some bills using government funds, although he'd reimbursed them as soon as his bank reopened its doors. There were also rumors of gifts being accepted in exchange for lack of prosecution, although there was nothing definite about that. Nothing that they found was, by the standards of the day, enough to disqualify Williams. And yet, one by one, the senators changed their minds, until the committee was unanimous. Williams would not be confirmed. Grant, when he heard, feared another scandal. His administration had suffered through several of them, and asked Williams to decline the nomination which, with a reluctance bordering on bitterness, he did. He really had no choice. So why had this happened? Washington insiders had a ready answer to that question. It wasn't Williams' alleged financial improprieties. It wasn't Williams' alleged intellectual inadequacy. It was Williams' wife. Kate Ann Williams was described by nearly everyone, friends and enemies alike, as a strikingly gorgeous and very intelligent 30-something lady. Her enemies, though, a category of people that grew with alarming rapidity while her husband was in office, added a few more adjectives to that roster, the most popular of which was arrogant. After her husband had left the Senate and been appointed to the cabinet position of attorney general, Kate almost immediately made a bitter enemy of virtually every other senator's wife. Quote, Mrs. Williams, through her inordinate desire to dominate the social life of Washington, had flaunted her status as the wife of a cabinet member over wives of lesser official standing, particularly the wives of senators, historian Sidney Tizer wrote. She had just moved into a great house on Rhode Island Avenue, which she furnished extravagantly. There she held receptions of regal splendor, announcing to the ire of the Senate ladies that as a cabinet wife she would expect the wives of senators to call on her first. And further it was said of her that she accepted presents from those who had cases before the Department of Justice. The 1870s were, of course, not a time of great empowerment for women. 
Women were half a century away from having a vote and were mostly treated by men, as Francis Fuller Victor remarked in 1875, with a kind of pat-on-the-head condescension, like children are idiots. But they were hardly without real power, as George Williams was now learning the hard way. As word spread around the social circles of Senate wives that Williams was on the cusp of joining the Supreme Court, it's not hard to imagine their response. If these women found Kate Ann Williams insufferable now, just think how much worse she'd be after her husband was one of the Supremes. In fact, the Supreme Supreme. To judge from the results, the response was swift, canny, and coordinated. The members of the Judiciary Committee went from a consensus to confirm to a firm, unanimous decision to not confirm in less than a week. Kate's response played right into her newfound enemy's hands. She immediately launched rumors of financial impropriety by other senators. This not only stiffened their determination to take her down, it was also something like a tacit confession of real wrongdoing, as any parent of more than one child who's ever heard, but sis did it too, will immediately understand. So Williams reluctantly turned down what would have been the crowning achievement of his political career, and a major feather in the cap of the new frontier state of Oregon, by the way, at the specific request of the president. He was still Attorney General of the United States, and Grant was happy to have him stay on, at first. But it seems that Kate, trying to make things better in what seems to have been the only way she knew how, now gave full rein to her talents for malicious gossip, and thereby came to the wrathful attention of the First Lady, Julia Boggs Grant. History got busy repeating itself. Under the guidance of his wife, Grant's conviction that Kate was a liability grew, and his faith in the legal and intellectual abilities of her husband waned. Soon, Williams was on the brink of dismissal, and everyone knew it. Then a fairly credible rumor arose. A rumor of a $30,000 bribe accepted by Kate, it was said, in exchange for her husband not prosecuting a pending case. Pressure started building for an investigation. And that is when the first of several, quote, anonymous and scurrilous letters of a blackmailing nature written for purposes of keeping Attorney General Williams in office, Tizer's words, arrived in the mail, addressed to the President of the United States. Now, conventional wisdom was, and still is, that these letters originated from Kate. Appealing as this interpretation is, it's not very likely. Kate may have been an insufferable, prideful prig, but she was not an idiot she would have known that those letters could only have come from her. It's far more likely that they were a frame-up created by someone who wished her ill to make a new and powerful enemy for herself and her husband. If so, they worked great. Grant, as Tizer puts it, became, quote, convinced of the unconscionable viciousness of Mrs. Williams. And so, in early 1875, the president asked for Williams' resignation. The comeuppance was devastating for Kate, who reportedly went to bed and stayed there for a long, long time. Williams stayed in Washington for a few more years practicing law before returning to Oregon in 1881 and settling in Portland. Defeated and humiliated, Kate was no doubt glad to be back home. Key sources in this story have included works by Sidney Tizer and Mrs. J.A. Logan. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. 
What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatorgan.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But... If you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatorgan.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) 